0: Shut up and sit down.
1: Hello, strangers, and welcome to the latest episode of Strangers in a Cinema. I'm with your co host Paul Anderson here this week with co host Pete Wall. Pete, how are you? Are your legs intact?
0: uh yeah just about man uh they they feel (laughs) a lot tighter than i think they're supposed to feel but um i'm working on it and working through it i uh for those who don't know who haven't listened to the last couple of episodes we've been talking a lot about personal fitness and upkeep and that kind of stuff paul's cycling all over the place on a on a a campaign to cycle what
1: 300 miles 300 miles in september yeah i did my first 50 yesterday in one go and i'll be honest my legs probably feel like yours at the moment i think
0: i saw your post about that did you go was the cycle ride like Five hours Or something
1: Yeah it took a while Wow Yeah that's an effort, yeah, yeah. And, a and fifty mile round trip, yeah.
0: G- great stuff, and for for my part, I managed to run up and down hills for twenty one kilometers on Sunday without falling over or passing out, which I'm quite pr- pleased with actually. So, um, yeah, it was good to get that done and, and sort of succeeded it. And now I've um, sensibly signed myself up to do the same kind of thing again in about four weeks' time. So, uh, yeah, we'll keep you posted <laughs> on our on our physical endeavours, I guess, on this part of the show that's now become our sort of own fitness diary. But um,
1: fitness four minute or whatever we can call it. (laughs)
0: But yeah, aside from that, I think on both sides of this divide, we've been quite busy this week, but we've also seen some pretty good stuff in terms of films. I know, Paul, that you got to see the double bill reissue of uh, Terminator, Terminator 1 and and Terminator 2 Judgment Day, which I'm excited to hear about in due course on this episode and for my part, I've been been pretty intrigued, for better or worse, by the releases of this week that we previewed last week, so they'll come up too. But in our show, as listeners know, we always start off with jumping in the foyer, and the foyer is the section where we're going to talk about something in the world of movies, films, um, news-wise, right Paul? What have we got this week that's cropped up on your radar are um, between all of the exercise and all the the busy work that you've had to do over the last seven days
1: well uh what's cropped up for me is toronto international film festival starts tomorrow so that is thursday the 5th of september so the show will have gone out by the time toronto international film festival has started uh and there's a few highlights from there that i wanted to to run past you pete and kind of what you used to do to me i'm going to do to you i'm going to give you i'm going to give you some films and i want to hear your thoughts on them whether you we would pass or fail them for want of a better word. i so um, the first, I'm only going to do three the, the, the first one of three that I'm excited about is the latest film from Terence Malick uh, A Hidden Life um, this is about the con- the conscience of a pious Austrian farmer is severely tested as war blankets Europe and Nazi ideology spreads in this enveloping spiritual epic from Master Terence Malick well, you said you were in already with Terence Malick, didn't you? But...
0: <laughs> well, uh, well I, I'm in on the idea of responding off the cuff to these things, but then you give me, first of all, Terence Malick, and it's very hard to do that. Um, yeah, th- I mean, there's been sort of sublime in terms of uh, something like The Tree of Life not that long ago that I really, really loved uh, to, I guess, faintly ridiculous in the case of sections of maybe some of the more recent movies from Malick. I am always going to be... Uh, on the front foot in terms of Terence Malick releases and excited to see what the man produces but that's not without I guess some sort of creeping reservations that it might be a little bit self-indulgent we'll see how do you feel about this one I mean obviously you're excited because that's why you put it in here but do you have any reservations about Malick stuff of late yeah I
1: mean I, I think when when Malick was doing when, when Malick wasn't doing many films shall we say I think his the quality of his films was certainly higher um, when you had to sort of, when it was just like an epically long wait for a Manic film you'd be like oh my god I haven't seen a Terrence Manic film for ages I think that I'll be honest there's some recent releases of I haven't I haven't rushed to see I think Night of Cups I haven't rushed to catch up with um, there's another couple I think there's one with Michael Fassbender in as well and Ryan Gosling I forget the name of that I've just had sitting on my Blu-ray shelf for ages because the reviews were kind of middling so I haven't rushed to catch up with with the most recent Malik work. However, what little I've read and seen of this, it does look like it might have more in common with his sort of more epic films rather than his more recent work. So, yeah, I'm with you. There's a sense of caution now, um, but Malik at his best is absolutely incredible. So, if there's even if there's even a five percent chance of this being Malik at his best, then I'm on board. Absolutely. What what
0: else have you got on this on this mini short
1: list? Um, so this is uh, this is called Color Out of Space. Uh, this is a director called Richard Stanley, who I don't think you're going to have heard of, Pete, And honestly, honesty, I might be mistaken. He directed a film uh, 29 years ago called Hardware, which initially was kind of dismissed as kind of a, a Terminator rip-off. Um, and in some ways, I, I can see where they're coming from on that, but it is an absolutely bonkers sci-fi horror film about a killer robot, in short. I haven't... Uh, I really haven't done it all the favours I could do it there but I really, really enjoyed it it's a very, very tense film the special effects are great and it's gory as fuck um, it's, a, it's a definitely an out there out there 80s sci-fi film um, he's back um, the director of Hardware Richard Stanley with an adaptation of a H.P. Lovecraft story uh, where a meteor falls to earth and lands on the property of a New England family it's increasingly unhinged patriarch played by the one and only Nicholas Cage Uh, the increasingly unhinged patriarch is played by the one and only Nicolas Cage with insidious, delirious and psychedelic results Um, so this is Richard Stanley and full bore out there Nicolas Cage performance this is why I'm excited Pete, I imagine you may disagree, but what are your thoughts? <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, so this will be one of, what, 20 films that Nick Cage is going to make in a, in a calendar year at the moment? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm all for it, man. I mean, I'm in, in for a penny, in for a pound. If if Nick Cage is, you know, going off the deep end as he tends to do, then it's at least worth sort of rubbernecking to see uh, the fallout of those endeavours. So, yeah, I, I'd check it out for for sure. Like you, like you mentioned, quite rightly, I haven't seen Hardware, so I don't really know what to expect from this filmmaker. But, um, yeah, I'm in. Why not?
1: Yeah, check out Hardware. I'd be be intrigued to see your thoughts. I would be, yeah, I'd be intrigued. Uh, And the last one for me, there's a lot on, don't get me wrong. And the last one that kind of jumped out at me, bear in mind, there's, there's a lot of good stuff on, I'll be honest. So if you're interested, check it out. There's a lot of good stuff on. But the last one that jumped out for me was... Ema, I would say is how you pronounce it, E-M-A, directed by Pablo Lorraine. Uh, now, Pablo Lorraine um, has made some fantastic films. Um, Jackie, I was a huge fan of, um, even as early back as... I've completely forgotten the name of the film I'm thinking of now. ch uh... <laughs> Tony Tony Monero, even far back as him making Tony Monero, which was a fantastic, fantastic black comedy about a guy who thought he was the guy from Saturday Night, F- John Travolta from Saturday Night Fever. Um, so yeah, um, Pablo Rain always has my always has my attention uh, after a terrible accident fractures her family and her marriage a woman sets out on a risky re- risky quest to reset her life in this incendiary drama about art, desire and family from Chilean director Pablo Lorraine is the inter- Toronto press release for that. Uh, Pablo Lorraine yes or no Pete?
0: Uh, Yeah, I think so. I I enjoyed Jackie, reviewed it on the show. Um, I haven't caught up with some of his stuff. Uh, Neruda, which was before that, I haven't seen yet. Um, Tony Manero that you mentioned, I haven't seen. No, even that that one that was uh, Gail Garcia Bernal and I think was Mm. relatively well reviewed, I haven't seen. So I guess what I've seen of his stuff is limited to Jackie, it looks like, just from a, a quick glance at this list here. Um, so yeah, I mean, interested to see what he does for sure. Clearly a talented filmmaker, quite a young filmmaker too. So um, yeah, yeah, again, why not? I mean, I'm being a bit non-committal because it's always hard to know when you go, <laughs> you've got sort of so little to go off in terms of um, work that you've previously seen. But yeah, sounds interesting to me. And this it, Toronto gets underway fairly soon, did you say?
1: Yeah, so it was the Thursday, so the day after we're recording, Thursday the 5th of September, so it starts tomorrow, but obviously by the time this show goes out it will be in full flow, so yeah, check out their lineup. Um, it looks very exciting, if you're lucky enough to be in Toronto uh, and listening to this show, which is a slight chance, but yeah, uh, let us know what you think and let us know if you're there.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Toronto, which uh, for reasons that I won't go into right now, always gives me just a little bit of a shudder and makes me feel a little bit nauseous. But um, yeah, that's, that might come up. That, that's not any slight on the actual city itself, which is mostly quite lovely. Um, in terms of other movie news this week, Paul Anderson, we have the news that um, Doctor Who, Who's Peter Capaldi has signed on to the cast of The Suicide Squad to be directed by James Gunn and released in the year 2021. So a little while away from release right now. Actually, August 2021. So, um, you know, keep your excitement levels up for a fairly long time and you'll be rewarded with this release, I guess. <laughs> uh, the the news coincides with the fact that you've got people coming back on board. Uh, Rick Flag, again, to be played by Joel Kinnaman, who will come up later on today's show. Uh, Margot Robbie, very importantly, returns as Harley Quinn. We've got a number of the original cast intact. And then we've got the addition of... People like uh, Taika Waititi's in the cast of this thing, um, and was he in the first one? You'd know, and I wouldn't probably. No, no. Okay, no, he great, wasn't, no. great. And I just rewatched what we do in the shadows, so um, yeah, I'm on a bit of a Taika Waititi buzz again. Um, yeah, Paul, I know that we had fairly varied, probably skewing towards quite negative views about uh, Suicide Squad, the first effort of late. Um, where do you stand on James Gunner, director that I know that you like? taking control of this um next movie and how are your anticipation levels coming into what will be the year 2021 in sort of a year and a half time
1: I think I'm a lot more excited for this than I would be I mean they, they've argued that this is a sequel it feels to me more like, like more of a reboot to be honest by the fact they've called it the suicide squad yeah. and you've got a new director on board um it feels like they might write off the first one and to be honest the first one is garbage so I'm, I'm glad they have it's more of a felt like more of a recut trailer the whole film felt like a trailer to me I did did not like Suicide Squad at all and uh, very 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 nearly had to fall out with a a good friend of mine that that cost us our friendship over the fact that he said he liked Suicide Squad when I'd had a few too many drinks so yeah that was an entertaining discussion so Connor if you're listening I'm sorry about that Um, yeah so I did not like the first Suicide Squad at all is basically what I'm getting to there this, however, does interest me a lot. I mean, James Gunn is perfectly suited to this kind of material. I think. Um, I think his sense of humour, a similar sort of off the wall sense of humour approach that he took to Guardians of the Galaxy, I think would suit this material very, very well. Um, I heard Nathan Fillion's on board in this in some capacity as well, because he's good friends with James Gunn, which excites me as well. Um, and yeah, no, I'm I'm super super excited for this. I think it would be. I think it's a good fit for the material. I can't see him messing this up. In all honesty. Yeah, we've also, got that cast-wise, we've got John
0: Cena, uh, that on the IMDb is currently rumoured, but what we do have, and this locks me in for this thing, to be honest, is my boy David Dasmalkian that we were talking about last week, Well, uh, uh, oh, we previewed last week, sorry, and it'll come up later in terms of a million little pieces that I'll talk about today, mm. but uh, he plays a character called Polka Dot Man, that's enough. That's enough, I'm in.
1: Uh,
0: Yeah, that weirdo playing a guy called Polkadot Man is great. Um, Yeah, so uh, I don't know, man. Like you said, I think you're absolutely right. If they've called this thing The Suicide Squad, it feels like we just want to forget about the crimes of the past and move on with this group of people, or at least a a large number of this group of people, into a sort of fresher uh, feeling and hopefully higher quality... Product, mm. right? Because there was so much to be excited about with Suicide Squad and then so much to be disappointed about in the final result, not least the fact that it felt like they totally balked at the possibility of doing something grown up and instead had this sort of PG 13 edited yeah. out, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, absolutely. sort of lack of violence, which I don't think is the James Gunn way. I'm very much hoping is not going to be the James Gunn way. So, um, yeah yeah uh, all for it really um and with margot robbie back i think she was one of the real strong points of the first movie as much as there were sort of scant strong points in the first movie uh if we can have less uh villains doing belly dancing whilst a load of cgi swirls swirls around in the sky then that would be lovely (laughs) um that about brings us to the end of movie news for this week so that means that we'll pop off for a little break and we're back in a moment with the section of the show that we call popcorn movies right after this
1: can I go, man? What the, What's going on, man? This is crazy. Blah, 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 blah,
0: blah. All of that chit-chat's going to get you hurt. Oh, my God.
1: we am going to talk a bit about Terminator 1 and then give you a, a space to speak and then talk a bit about Terminator 2, Pete, if that works for you. It
0: does. It does, yeah. I mean, by all means, go Terminator One and then Terminator Two if it makes more sense to, to stick them together. Right, I suppose
1: we could do, yeah. I suppose I could talk about both, I guess. But yeah, so Terminator One is in its uh, Terminator One is a film I've never seen on the big screen before and has always been sort of there or thereabouts in my top films of all time. I think, in all honesty, every time I watch it, remind I get reminded of just how tight a film it is. It's it's an incredibly incredibly well put together. Um, horror film I would say I think is a is a fairer description of it than action film. Um I think it gets unfairly not well, there's nothing wrong with action cinema, but I think it gets banded around as an action film a lot when it's it's definitely more of a horror film than it is an action film, I think. Or more perhaps like a just an effective genre mashup of all those genres really. And I just think the the atmosphere that, that Cameron creates um is just almost second to none in it. The film is, is tense from start to finish. Um and a lot of that, yeah, the, a lot of that is down to Schwarzenegger's like incredible performance. Like it's easy to write him off as a man that can't act, but to do what he does in this film, he does very, very well with very few line, lines of dialogue, and he is a presence in every shot that he's in. He's a menacing character, and that is a lot of that comes down to the way the film's made as well. Don't get me wrong, but Schwarzenegger needs gets should get a lot of credit for this film working so well. Um, and it's yeah it's just stripped back it's it's raw it's a very very dark film and i think it came out of nowhere ever, nowhere and took everyone by surprise really uh pete any thoughts on terminator i know you've you've seen both but well
0: uh, having just pointed out the way in which uh the suicide squad has the definite article at the front of it to make some sort of a powerful statement we should remember that the, the first terminator <laughs> is called the terminator which true, was then yes. dropped in in terminator 2 judgment day of course yeah um yeah you're right it is a kind of horror movie isn't it and it's a sort of um it's such an interesting combination of movies if you watch them back-to-back as you did because, you know, obviously in the first one you've got the Terminator character being this antagonistic, uh, yeah, central influence and in the second one you've got him being the sort of archangel protector figure. Um, so I, I imagine watching them side by side, particularly on a big screen, is pretty rewarding. It's been, it must be a few years since I've seen The Terminator in its entirety so I can't dig into it in any great detail without sort of getting away from um, specificity in terms of my points but um, I always f- lean towards the second film uh, as my preference but okay. I've but I've definitely got a lot of love for the first one and um, still remember seeing this for the first time it's got it you know it lands a pretty Pretty heavy punch when you see it for the first time, I think, uh, the original film. Do you think that there's anything about watching it these days uh, in 2019 that doesn't hold up? Like on the big screen particularly, is there anything that looks uh, particularly dated or um, has suffered through the passage of time for you?
1: I mean, in in fairness, a couple of the effect shots have suffered. The stop motion shots don't look great. Um, Certainly the stuff when you've got the Terminator, the Terminator sort of endoskeleton itself. But then the same can be said for Terminator Two. In fairness, in some of the effect shots there. So uh, yeah, bit, bits and pieces. There's there's like there's a prosthetic Schwarzenegger face where he's repairing himself that doesn't hold up. But to me, it ultimately doesn't really matter. Um, for me, I skew much. I skew towards. Uh, I prefer the Terminator to Terminator Two. I just think it's a it's a tighter film. Um, I found Terminator Two going on to Terminator Two actually. Um, Sorry, an answered your question. Yes, a few, a couple of bits have dated, um, but that's always going to happen when there's effects in a film. Unfortunately, I don't think then they're, they're not long enough scenes to. The film is good enough to avoid you worrying about those things. I think though, uh, Terminator Two. Um, On the other hand, it's interesting that you skew towards that one being your favourite because, again, I had a great time with this in the cinema. I just think compared to The Terminator, there are times, and these are minor, minor gripes with Terminator 2, don't get me wrong. There are times when the story just feels a little bit baggy in comparison to how tautly written the Terminator is. Um, it is a very, very different beast, so it's almost unfair to compare the two. Um, and that's why Terminator 2 works so well, because Cameron understands with sequels, as he did with Aliens, that if you're going to make a sequel to a film, you need to make it different. So Terminator 2 is, without a doubt, a more a sort of uh, a, uh, an all-out action film as opposed to a horror film. Um, and at, at that, it succeeds incredibly well. I think the set pieces, are certainly on the big screen, uh, and this is the second time I've seen it on the big screen recently. Luckily, the set pieces on the big screen are almost second to none in action cinema. Like the scale of the film, uh, bear in mind it's made in 1991. The scale of the film is is almost unrivalled even today. And I think a lot of that is down to the fact that they either did it properly, they either did it with, they either did it with actual helicopters or actual lorries being chased, or they did it with such effective model work. That there's just a sense of realism to the film with the exception of obviously there is cgi with the terminator scenes but with the with everything else there's a sense of realism to the film that i think is lacking in action cinema these days any thoughts people or- yeah i mean just something that struck me the other day for some
0: reason was that uh you know talking about these two movies i didn't go to the double bill as you're aware um when i i, I could have done just sort of other stuff and work got in the way but um yeah like It seems like not long ago that I was encountering Terminator 2 for the first time and I think actually maybe part of the reason why I skew towards two over one is not necessarily an entirely objective assessment of the films. Mm. It's because Terminator 2 was the first one that I saw and I think because of the age at which I would have seen it it had such a profound impact that when I went back and saw one it was never going to be able to scoop top spot in my estimation
1: it's interesting you say that because i used to i used to hold that viewpoint and i think it's probably only seeing them in recent years actually where i've kind of assessed them more from a a critical point of view where i've I've kind of changed my mind as to which one which one is better yeah um yeah again that's yeah and it it may Yeah, my
0: position may have been also skewed by the fact that, um, as you mentioned, Terminator 2 has come onto the big screen twice, including this time recently. And we saw it, both of us saw it a couple of years ago, whereas I didn't mm. see the Terminator at that time. So maybe it just sort of uh, stirred up nostalgia for the second movie where the same treatment hadn't been given to the first at that point. Um, yeah, also just worth noting that, like, for example, Robert Patrick, who's the T-1000 in, in T2, obviously, is a 60 year old man now it just feels strange that it's just feels strange that. is like a fresh faced individual in this thing a threatening you know scary chilling figure but you know 60 years old at this point shares my birthday actually robert patrick as it goes okay like so many great people famke famke Janssen's like right up there on that list but um yeah so so having seen these two together you come out of it th- sort of still feeling maybe that one is the superior movie are there any particular scenes that you were reminded of having seen again this time round that stand out as sort of your favorite scene from either film
1: i think the the minigun scene in terminator 2 i think is fantastic where he takes to the he takes to the roof of the cyberdine systems building with the minigun and then assures zero zero human casualties is fantastic uh the police station shootout in Terminator 1 is or The Terminator should we say yeah, it's amazing. is just just incredible like absolutely second to none um your terminated fucker. The final line from the Terminator. Where it's, uh, where you've, you've this is the, probably the first time you see that change in Sarah Connor, more more akin to the character you're going to get in Terminator Two. Um, that's great. A lot of, yeah, most of it, to be honest. Just most of it. I mean, the the bit, the incredible bit, and I'll never forget this as a kid in uh, in Terminator Two, where. Uh, the T-1000 gets covered in um, liquid liquid nitrogen and frozen. And Schwarzenegger blows him into little pieces. And you then I just remember as a kid, I was like, no fucking way is he coming back to life. No way, no way. And then he comes back to life. Yeah, just, just some incredible moments across two absolutely classic films. Um, and I'm, I'm just, yeah. I mean, the less said about the sequels, the better, really. Um, Terminator Dark Fate is coming out soon, I think next week or the week after, and is a direct sequel to Terminator 2. Uh, which I think is why they rushed re-release these for Judgment Day to try and build some interest in Dark Fate. We'll see where that goes. I mean, Cameron's on board as producer. Linda Hamilton's back, which intrigues me more than anything, more than some of the other films. But I'm not sure. And I, it, there's no way it can meet. There's no way it can meet the expectation of these of the Terminator One and Two. We-
0: we had terminator 3 obviously then there was a gap then we had a movie what was the movie called before terminator genesis salvation oh terminator that salvation. oh that was yeah. the worst that one yeah. was the <laughs> yeah, bottom of the pile the for M- me the
1: mcg directed one yeah
0: oh truly awful it was a struggle yeah. to stay awake through that one so yeah, yeah you're yeah. quite right like i i have some amount of love for terminator 3 i mean it's a way off the first two it's got
1: some good set pieces but yeah it's uh, it's not yeah.
0: it's not uh, the abomination that uh the, I've forgotten already what you said the name of that movie was because it's so forgettable what <laughs> salvation yeah salvation, salvation dr- dreadful yeah. and then Terminator yeah. Genesis just kind of like a bit of a Meh, like shruggy it's attempt. Like a, a to, fart uh, in the wind. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like uh, you know, sort of stirring up nostalgia uh, in in ways that were sort of cheap and lazy and not particularly engaging. So yeah, yeah, hopefully the next one brings along better stuff. I mean, talking about things, Paul, that are lazy and and sort of make you shrug and, and feel a little bit disappointed. Getting into my first popcorn review of this week. Um, last week we previewed a movie called A Million Little Pieces. This is from director Sam Taylor Johnson and co-written with her partner Aaron Taylor Johnson, who's also the movie's star. Now. A Million Little Pieces we established last week was um, a book originally released as a memoir by an author called James Frey, according to me, although the movie goes to great pains through the central character to point out that his name is in fact James Fry. Uh, James Fry released this memoir and later had to have his publisher change the uh, framing of this release as not entirely a memoir based on the fact that an investigation revealed that a number of the details of his tale of um, recovery from crippling drug addiction had been fabricated, had been changed, had been altered for basically dramatic effect and to shift units. it turned out also in that investigation that Fry had been turned down as an author of fiction and then reframed himself as a sort of uh, autobiographical writer and had reached this level of sort of breakout fame with A Million Little Pieces. So we come to Sam Taylor Johnson taking on this project, as I say, with her partner uh, casting him in the lead role alongside Charlie Hunnam playing his brother. We've got also here Juliette Lewis who plays a counsellor at the Recovery Centre. We've got Giovanni Rabisi, who's like a kooky um, uh, very flamboyant buoyant gay guy who's also trying to recover from his own demons billy bob thornton as a sort of wise figure who's got sage advice about addiction and then my boy david das who doesn't get enough to do but what he does do is pretty good as just a weirdo as he so often is, <laughs> as he always uh, in, is yeah. in the yeah. <laughs> in the treatment center now all of this stuff like lines up to be something i reckon fairly interesting because surely with that backstory you've got to investigate the lies and the half-truths around the publication of this book. This is a character study of a character who was duplicitous and rose to prominence, like I say, based on things that weren't entirely true. But for reasons that I just can't understand, the production team here and Sam Taylor-Johnson have taken upon themselves to make what is essentially like a kind of Nicholas Sparks romantic drama that takes place, you know, in recovery, in place of investigating any of the issues. Like, the issues before Fry goes into treatment, nothing. Surely that's what
1: people want to see, is why he's he's fabricated this information. Right.
0: Like, first of all, I'm interested, why did this man hit that rock bottom? We get next to nothing at all about that. There's one very oblique story about what happened with his parents that lasts, you know, 30 seconds later in the movie that fills in something. Uh, But then also after he comes out of treatment is the time that he rises to be this, you know, best-selling author. None of that because we don't get that part of the story. What we do get is a guy who is, you know, sort of got blackened teeth and a cut up bruised face who needs help, who goes into treatment and then goes through this sort of uh, journey of self-discovery in the unit before being released to his brother, Charlie Hunnam to sort of go and live another day. And that is it in the credits role within that frame uh, as limited as it is sam taylor johnson here and there has a couple of artistic flourishes we know she comes from still photography she frames some things quite nicely but like as well as framing things nicely and artistic presentation we also have a couple of scenes that are accidentally hilarious there's an early sequence when fry is admitted to the unit which goes into this kind of dream sequence of him dancing down a corridor that's flooding with blood which just looked absurd like and, and and made people laugh which is exactly That's the opposite it, that, response. The
1: quite out of. I mean, that feel, I haven't even seen the film, and that to me already sounds out of kilter with what's going on in the rest yeah, of Yeah,
0: I mean, it's <laughs> it's sort of mood-setting stuff, but it doesn't work. There's part where uh, Fry's, uh, you know, uh, Aaron Taylor-Johnson, as, as James Fry, uh, comes out of a session all, all sort of angry and embittered when he's going through the first few steps of the 12-step programme, and basically has a fr- fight that he loses with a sapling, a small tree. It's really funny. It's not supposed to be funny. This is a story of sort of suffering and hopeful for, you know, redemption in the end, but I just don't understand the approach that's taken here. I, I put up a glib thing on our Instagram that this movie should be called uh Neckbeard Interrupted. It makes more sense. It's <laughs> it's like the movie Girl Interrupted without the writing chops and with less of the intrigue. Right. And that's not a movie that I hold particularly close to my heart anyway and then yeah surrounding character- i mean billy bob thornton's fine he gets to you know um take uh taylor johnson's character under his wing and sort of give him a bit of fatherly advice and uh there are some yeah quirky characters in a sort of you know d grade one flew over the cuckoo's nest kind of vein, but the, the the level of sort of torpor and and boredom that i felt through this thing it, it was just unfathomable to me when this is such juicy material. And all I can guess, Paul, is that Sam Taylor-Johnson and Aaron Taylor-Johnson have created some kind of personal friendship with James Fry. And he wants them to release, you know, the true story and the, the, the you know, the, the redemptive story that will help other addicts. But other addicts, t- to my mind, would do better to see a film that engages them on, you know, some kind of emotional and sort of visceral level and I just think this fails on almost every possible front it's gonna be right up there in my worst films of the year and I'm truly not exaggerating I'm truly not exaggerating this is Yeah, like like I said, coming out... We were
1: mildly excited about this last week as well, weren't we? I mean, I
0: was, yeah, because it's an intriguing story. And, 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 you know, I wanted to know more about it. And I wanted to know, you know, even speculatively, what drove this man to do the things that he did. But I don't get that. I get... I mean, we do get a couple of... Standout is the wrong word. uh, Maybe... memorable sequences of physical discomfort we get a thing where he has uh t- teeth removed without anesthetic because of course addicts can't have the anesthetic that you or i would yeah. because they're you know likely to be addicted to that treatment uh we also have a sequence where his broken nose is reset and those you know early on in the movie give you this sense that this is going to be a sort of really grisly. Um, you know uh, no holds barred account of of cold turkey and recovery but even that sanitized paul it doesn't make any sense like you know you think about something like the sequences in train spotting that are a pretty you know a pretty mainstream you know widely released movie that that made me feel incredibly uncomfortable about the idea of ever Mm. getting addicted to heroin if that's something that came up on my on my radar as a young man but like here his recovery doesn't even seem that bad. And surely if we're going to achieve one thing, it's going to convey the fact that, that you know, that, that something like, like heroin or, or crack cocaine or, like, strong class A drugs are, are an absolute living hell in recovery and, and in addiction. And I just don't get it, man. I just don't get why they've done this. And I, I think this thing is going to sink without a trace, and probably rightfully so. Ah, uh, yeah, it's strange. Check it out. <laughs> really, really, really strange yeah. that one. I'd love to hear other people's opinions, and I'm sure there are people that this movie work for. I mean, p- perhaps, but I'm I'm yet to hear from them, so I wait on that. Just one more quickly. That was uh, also previewed last week. The Informer. Yeah, uh, from uh, this is this the one with
1: Joel Kinnaman in? Yeah, yeah, Joel Kinnaman, yeah.
0: uh, Rosman Pike. Rosman Pike plays like a, a, a I want to say FBI boss who uh, tasks Kinnaman's character with going back into prison for a complicated set of reasons that you'd have to watch the movie to fully understand. But uh, long story short, he's an ex-convict and he needs to do what he's told in order to meet the conditions of his uh, being released early from prison uh, in a sort of. Um, You know one of those cases where they pull the case file and it's all been redacted because Mm. this guy's uh, an informer, of course, that's the name of the movie. Um, He is also under pressure because he has got involved as an undercover detective with a mob uh, boss who is particularly scary and is going to hurt his family. At the head of that family is the character played by Anna de Armas uh, that we talked about being from Blade Runner 2049, although all she really gets to do here is sort of look vaguely concerned and very, very pretty, uh, which is a bit of a shame. Um, also, he has a young daughter who wants to protect her. Uh, in this thing, we've got Clive Owen, who is asleep, um, taking a check. <laughs> we also have uh, Common who is... Common is an like, uh, obviously rapper-turned-actor who I want to like, but I feel like He, you know, it might sound ironic coming from me, but he very much likes the sound of his own voice. And in this movie, when he's delivering lines as as a sort of hard bitten member of the uh, NYPD, he he's very much enjoying the idea that he's in the NYPD. I don't know. Okay, (laughs) Uh, it it doesn't quite work for me. Yeah, the the movie's fine for two thirds of it. There's a bit of tension. It's a reasonably sort of serviceable nuts and bolts thriller, and then uh last last act uh, third act it completely falls to pieces the wheels fall off i mean there's a sequence with a sniper which i won't spoil but there's going to be a question in the head of any sort of reasonably level-headed free-thinking person that is just like how did this not come up in your training Um, and and I'll say no more about it but you know it allows them to do a rather flashy explosive part of the movie so I guess fine Uh, yeah it's okay you'll forget about it almost immediately after it finishes Joel Kinnaman is in great shape as I said he spent about a decade in the gym by the evidence of his last few movies and and he does
1: absolutely insane shape he's in at the moment incredible yeah (laughs)
0: there's that to marvel at my wife appreciated that a lot and like he does he does some convincing sort of snarling and posturing in this thing which I appreciate it just would be better if the movie around him you know carried its own momentum through to the conclusion which i don't think it really does um but yeah it was fine and funnily enough there was a completely different cast planned for this movie not least uh, david David yellowo would have been uh, one of the key players here okay uh, we had a different guy and I forget I had the full list last week we did the preview and, and didn't get to it but yeah the the previous cast uh, Maggie Gillenhall in the Diarmas role I believe just sounded like a better movie and I think uh, yeah. those those actors <laughs> were tied to better projects and couldn't do it so yeah the informers fine watch it when it streams when you know one of those Friday night with a beer kind of movies I, I guess
1: um yeah, that enough. That's it for me Paul. Have you got anything else to add in popcorn movies this week? Uh, no. Cuz that's all I've seen this week. So well. <laughs> and and the film we feature reviewing you'll be pleased to know Pete I have seen that as well. So to, yes.
0: To be fair though, uh, listeners, you know, if you're going to only watch a couple of films a week, then I would say uh, a Pedro Almodovar and both the first Terminator movies not a bad way to go. Yeah, could be um, worse, yeah. <laughs> so uh, talking of things that could be worse, we'll be back in just a moment with a section of the show that we call Coming Attractions right after this.
1: Nice night for a walk, eh? Nice
0: night for a walk. Wash day tomorrow. Nothing clean, right?
1: <laughs> Nothing clean, right.
0: Hey, I think this guy's a couple cans short of a six pack.
1: So welcome back to Coming Attractions, Uh, this is where we talk about things that are coming up this week, or I should say this is where Pete lists things that are coming up this week and I tell them either flippantly or in some detail as to whether I'm excited or not. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes (laughs) I've noticed recently, are you excited for that one Paul? Yes. (laughs) It is uh, the the pithiest review that I think you've got so far. Uh,
0: Yeah, so first, the big, 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 big uh, wide release this week is It Chapter 2. This one follows on from the 2017 release and sees a 27-year jump into the future where the kids of that movie have turned into adults, and those adults are still terrified and uh, and stalked by uh, the fairly traumatising figure of uh, Pennywise lurking around every corner. Uh, They, of course, are members of the Losers Club. And uh, yeah, after the devastation of the first movie, they're picking up the pieces 27 years on. Paul, we've got a shift here into a cast of adults, including the likes of Jessica Chastain, James McAvoy, Bill Hader. Uh, Where are you at in anticipating another chapter of what is now becoming the IT franchise?
1: I'm kind of on board i I need to watch the first it again uh in all honesty because I, I it's one of those films that I came out of and I think I think you shared this opinion with me actually I'm not sure like I came out of it expecting really great things and from what the reviews I'd read all kind of went to town I was like this film's incredible and it didn't do a lot it didn't do a lot for me um I just thought it lacked atmosphere. I thought it over relied on jump scares. I didn't think it was particularly scary. I didn't hate the film, but I didn't love it either. I thought it was it was well enough put together, but it just wasn't particularly scary. Um, this one is sort of intrigues me more. I mean, you've got a, you've got a cast of most of which I'm fat a fan of. Um, and if anything, if any part of the miniseries that's previously been adapted needs improving, it was the section of the miniseries where it went to the adult losers, so part two, which is what was it, this adapting, because that, and I haven't read the book, I'll be honest, uh, but that part of the miniseries, the second part of it, was f- quite frankly piss poor. Um, it just wasn't well acted, the, the writing wasn't good, it was very, very hard slog to get through, so hopefully they can improve on that, um, but the jury's out for me on this one. I will see it. But I don't know, I don't know. Pete, where do you stand? Yeah, so this is
0: returning, I believe, director Andy Michetti, yes, who I think correct. is was the helm on the first one, who also directed the Jessica Chastain horror movie Mama. So there's a connection between yeah. the actor and the director there. Uh, Mama, which in my memory was a pretty bad movie that had the kids who were raised all feral, but showed off how good Jessica Chastain looks in a vest, which is probably <laughs> a, not, not the deepest comment I'll make on today's show. But like, no. yeah, I, I, I'm intrigued to see, you know, actors with chops like McAvoy and Chastain take on this material but like you I felt the first one was a bit of a story of two halves like the first half of the movie that played on sort of um, young uh, youthful sort of anxiety the central female character and her abusive relationship on the part of uh, her father, the fear that she had mm. around her father, and the fear that she had also of becoming an adult and 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 reaching sort of maturity and that kind of thing. I, all f- you know, found that pretty interesting. It had this sort of Stranger Things type feeling, like kids heading out on their push bikes into the community. The way in which it was shot, I thought, was pretty pretty solid, um, and, and drew me in. And then I felt like I lost it a little bit when we got into sort of CGI you know, Pennywise territory. Not CGI Pennywise, but what I mean is all the CGI sort of swirling around. And uh, yeah, there were just things in it that felt... um without weight like kind of weightless Mm. um and, and just sort of lost my interest a bit i see this one's currently sitting at 60 on metacritic so it doesn't seem like it's been either a complete flop with critics or an overriding success so the jury's still out and we'll see and when obviously next week when we reconvene for an episode we will have a full review of that so i think i'll withhold judgment until we get to that episode next week Um, In addition to that one, on release this week, we have a movie called K-12. You'll bear with me because the details here are a bit more scant. This is a fantasy horror slash musical. Um, This one, a brave-hearted girl and her charming best friend make a bewitching pair as they embark on a mission to take down the oppressive schooling system of k12 from director melanie martinez also the writer of this project and also the star of this project paul do you know anything about this no but you had me at fantasy horror so i'm in (laughs) okay all right yeah i I, yeah i I wish i could give you like a load more detail and i don't necessarily have it but i mean sometimes this is the thing with previews you get a little flavor of what something's about and it's enough to convince you to check it out without wanting to spoil the thing um, Melanie Martinez, known for uh, working on the soundtrack of Nerve, interestingly enough.
1: Okay.
0: Um, yeah, born 1995. So the director, writer, and star is all of 24 years of age. So that's a person and a film, I suppose, worth watching to form an opinion. We've also got a film called Dronigan, or in English, Queen of Hearts, which, again, I believe is going to be a limited release this week. A woman jeopardises both her career and her family when she seduces her teenage stepson and is forced to make an irreversible decision with fatal consequences from director May L tukai Uh, Any knowledge here, Paul? No. Uh, Without that knowledge then, because I'm in the same boat as you, does that sound like an intriguing synopsis as far as you're concerned?
1: It's an in- intriguing enough premise. I don't know anything about the director, in all honesty, so that would probably sway me sway me in either direction. Uh, but it sounds like an intriguing, if cliched, premise. In all honesty, just from that from that bit of information. Um, what about you, Pete? Does it sway you at all? As long as it's better
0: than that dreadful movie Adore with um, uh, Naomi, What she not in? Uh, which I saw a few years ago, which is about uh, mothers seducing sons. Then, um, not their own sons, I hasten to add. Uh, then, you know, we're, we're doing okay. But again, it's kind of one of those weeks, man, where we've got a big release in terms of It Chapter 2 and then we've got some smaller things. So to round those off, we've also got a couple of others. Uh, a drama slash comedy called The Shiny Shrimps. This one involves... Uh, a character called Matthias Le Goff, who's an Olympic champion at the end of his career, who makes a homophobic statement on TV. And his punishment for making this homophobic statement is that he's going to have to coach the Shiny Shrimps, a flamboyant and amateur gay water polo team who are nice. looking to qualify for the gay Olympics in Croatia. Uh, yeah, again, something uh, I think intriguing. I'm sort of dangling little tidbits of information this week. Um, I believe this is a French production, Paul. Any interest?
1: Uh, yes and no. This is this is the kind of material that, for me, that if handled well, could be very very funny. Um, if handled badly, could be kind of overdone with some awful awful physical comedy. I'm, I'd be intrigued to see which way this goes. I haven't seen the trailer. I'll be honest. So maybe I'll look at the trailer and go from there. But I'm I'm either way on this one. I like the premise, but it depends how it's handled.
0: Final one then for this week is The Big Meeting. This is a documentary film which gives the story of uh, an event that takes place every second Saturday in July since the year 1871 all the way up to the present day in the city of Durham where the city is taken over by miners, uh, trade unions and the public for one of the biggest gatherings in Europe the the Durham Miners Gala, known locally as The Big Meeting. The documentary is interesting I think not only because of its its you know direct subject matter, but because of the fact of some of the talking heads that are involved are people like um, Jeremy Corbyn, Bernie Sanders, uh, Dennis Skinner, and others. So uh, yeah, a documentary dealing with the plight and uh, tri- trials and tribulations of the miners does that appeal to you in any way, Paul Anderson? Uh, and
1: under the current political climate, I suppose it's more probably more relevant than ever. But uh, yes, yeah, yeah. I'll definitely check this out. Yeah, did you see the trailer for the new Ken Loach? Uh, no i haven't watched the trailer actually
0: yeah it popped up on something that i saw the other day and um yeah i'm so i'm so in it made me feel upset already and it was just the trailer (laughs) I know we'll do that yes yeah that doesn't sound like a glowing recommendation but you know if you know what i'm talking about then it kind of does uh cool okay those are previews for this week as we said we'll have a big review of it chapter two in due course and any of the other movies that i've detailed that stand out i'm sure we'll catch up with as well and then give you our thoughts But that brings us to the end of coming attractions, which means that we'll be back to settle down into our seats and give our feature review right after the break. The feature review this week being Pain and Glory from director Pedro Almodovar right after this. We lose the ones we love. We cannot change it. Put it aside. How?
1: How can I do what is needed when all I feel is... I did. So yes, as Pete mentioned before the break, we are going to review *Pain and Glory* from Pedro Almodóvar, um, who is a Spanish director of some repute. I would say I don't know if you've done, if anyone's heard of him out there. Uh, but yes, he's a pretty established director. Um, Pete, set, set this one up for us
0: yeah so to keep it pretty simple and streamlined um, this is the story of a film director played by antonio banderas who's been a sort of frequent collaborator over the years with olmodovar in the film his character is reflecting on the choices that he's made over his career and his life um, both at the present time where he's struggling with a growing addiction to stimulants let's say a sort of growing sense of ennui and a solitary life under the shadow of a love that he previously lost something that we get to learn more about in the course of the film itself all of the while he's also trying to come to terms with the passing of his father and the ailing health of his mother who's played in flashback by the frequent collaborator of almavar as well Penelope cruz that i think people will be well aware of. Uh, so this is a, a mournful story, it's a, a dramatically hefty story, and I might contend that it's one of Pedro Almodovar's recent best works, but we'll get into that right after we hear a little clip.
1: Bon <laughs> viaje. Muchas gracias por venir, de so, yeah, I haven't seen an our film for a while. I'll be honest. I think the last one I saw was probably *The Skin I Live In*, um, which I really, really enjoyed. Um, but was certainly uh, much more out there than I think what we got here, Pete. And this, to me, felt like a much more dialed back, much more personal work from the director. Yeah, 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 absolutely um yeah and I think and I think in my in my thoughts I'm, and I would say probably all the better for it as well because sometimes with the, the best way I can describe Elndivar and I was having this conversation with a friend of mine the other day is kind of like like almost absurdist at times almost absurdist kitchen drink sink dramas come from him if you look at like all about my mother and talk to her and that kind of thing you kind of you initially feel like you're watching what could be a, a, a by by the numbers is the wrong way to describe it like a A more traditional drama, for example, and then suddenly something will come into it that is just so bizarre, so absurd. Like the blackest of comedy will suddenly like creep up into the film and just kind of hit you in the face out of nowhere. And I think there are there's elements of that here, but this feels like a more definitely more dialed back work. Pete
0: yeah I, I think you're right i think he has a great affection for like spanish soap operas and including melodrama in his stories and as far back as things like what have i done to deserve this that i think i reviewed on on this show actually um you've got yeah sort of kitchen kitchen sink drama or like i almost accidentally said kitsch uh, in sync drama yeah. and, it, and, and it makes sense when you're talking about because oh, because yeah. like you say yeah he he likes um, sort of absurdist comedic elements he likes Character drama, but without with a sort of lightness of touch and without necessarily taking things at any point too seriously. But then, like you also correctly say, you know, there are times where you'll get very blackly comedic uh, sections, or in some cases, just black sections in terms of, you know. Um, a real contemplative, sort of dark sense of of human suffering. I mean, in Pain and Glory, we open with this sequence I just thought was brilliantly handled, which is uh, a voiceover from Banderas' character explaining how, until he was 30 years of age, he basically lived his life carefree, and past 30, he started to learn about himself through the ailments that afflicted his body. <laughs> yeah. So all the different aches and pains, and you know, arthritic cramping, and like different issues that he's had in part. Of his body, he's got a problem with his breathing, some sort of asthmatic issue. Uh, all these things come together as we see on screen a sort of graphic, three dimensional graphic of the human body and uh, how the nervous system and the respiratory system link together. And this real looking from sort of the outside in, instead of going in with an emotional study of this character at first, we start with his body and kind of work our way back. Mm. It's also really interesting that I think Ormodovar's made this movie that is uh, not unlike some of his previous work, but is so very focused on uh, production and creativity, and particularly film production. It has this great affection for making stuff, making something, creating something with your time. I mean, the central drama if you or the the arc of the drama in this movie if you if you can call it as such is whether or not our our protagonist is gonna end up making something again um and and you know you'll have to watch it to find out how i suppose that plays out but um what we do spend most of our time doing is just following bandera's character around as he lives like i said in the intro like a very seemingly sad, solitary uh, lonesome existence in this beautifully decorated apartment a sort of um, mausoleum to all of his achievements of the past he's a film director, I don't know if you even mentioned this but he's a film director who has had a uh, recent retrospective of his work that he has been asked to speak at and he basically employs an agent and he tells his agent whatever I'm asked to do, wherever I'm asked to speak or go, just say no like the blanket yeah. answer to everything is no I'm not coming, I don't want to speak, I don't want represent my work and he's starting to maybe soften so he gets the idea to go and uh, pay a visit to the man who was the star rather um volatile slightly difficult i think star of this movie that's now being lauded as a spanish classic and um, in the process he is introduced to heroin which he basically starts to take because he says Well, at that point in the movie, anyway, we believe he starts to take heroin because he just wants to know what it's like. He's curious. It's almost like he's so um, nihilistic at that point that it doesn't really matter. You know, that point with uh, sort of... depressive thought where ingesting things into your body and the consequences of doing so become irrelevances because your care for yourself is so minimal that you just want to see what something feels like you know if i if i cut my arm how does it feel if i take the drugs how does it feel if i drink too much how does it feel that's the point that he's at and what i think is beautiful in fleshing out this character is learning later that there's a bigger reason for why he went down the path yeah. that he went down, yeah, um, related to his his past loves and things like that. But yeah, man, like I, I don't know, I, I I was swept up. I was really swept up by this movie. And um, I mean, we should talk about what we've got is sort of 50% of the film with Banderas in the present day and then sort of at least 50% of the film in his early childhood, around the ages of sort of 10, 11, 12, growing up in really quite abject poverty with his mother, played by Penelope Cruz. And obviously there's a child actor in the, the role of Banderas' character later on. Um, you know, did those sequences work for you, I suppose? If we jump back in time to the
1: stuff that's flashed yeah, back. Yeah, I think they did. I think they they kind of played... They're kind of—it's difficult because I think I, if I remember rightly you put something in the letterbox. that you're not even sure whether this—the whole film—is a comedy or a drama in places. And I think that's ultimately how I wants you to wants you to view it, because I think a lot of the more of the comedy seems to be within within the kind of childhood scenes, especially the kind of the early scenes where it turns out he's at religious school and the um, the priest just taking him out of all of his lessons because he can sing. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's quite a nice touch there. And I think yeah, I think the flashbacks flashbacks definitely definitely worked for me it's it's, it's some, yeah again flashbacks can work they, they they don't sometimes I think I think here they did um and I think the way they did it the way they did it kind of you could see him kind of recounting the his childhood and it made made his character eventually sort of I guess come to terms or more balanced with what was going on as as the film as the film went along and I think by the, and obviously they when you get towards the end, you realize you do realize the significance of the flashbacks, and it makes it makes a lot more sense at the end as to why they're doing them the way they're doing them without spoiling it. Uh, so yeah, I think that did work for me, and I think some of the some of the comedy in those scenes was really really sweet. Um, and I think the whole film had a nice had a nice as a, had a I'd say a warm message about it, which again is not something I normally would experience in, in, in all of Almodovar's work. In fairness, there's a certain there was a uh, yeah there was a warmness of touch here, and I think that combined with there's one particular scene in the film with the adult uh, T- Antonio Banderas character, where an old f- an old flame reappears in his life um, from his time making films, and that reunion was just absolutely one of my film scenes of the year. Uh, just incredibly well done, incredibly touching. It's the kind of thing that in the in the wrong director's hands could be very very cheesy, very very overwrought, and just overplayed. And and it really wasn't here. Like a tear a tear came to my eye. It was so well put together. Um, And that scene in particular was definitely one of the highlights of the film for me. Yeah, yeah. And and I mean, actually, you mentioned the the letterbox thing. The thing I put on
0: letterbox is a quote from the movie, at least in terms of the subtitled English Uh, translation of what happened. Because that sequence uh, that that I referred to is, to me, a standout as one of the absolute best bits of filmmaking I've seen this year, or, or any year in recent memory, which is where Banderas' character is on the treatment table and he's about to have an operation towards the end of the movie because uh, he needs to have like a small piece of I believe cartilage uh, mm. shifted in his trachea because he's having problems he chokes on everything he chokes on water and soup and inconsequential yeah. amounts <laughs> of food and uh, he's about to go under the knife for this operation and just before the anaesthetic hits the doctor leans in and he recognises that the doctor is the man that he also consulted with about the operation and the doctor knows that he's trying to wean off heroin and start creating again and start yeah writing again and do something more maybe positive with with his time and less self-destructive and so the doctor says to him uh, just before this this anesthetic moment he says uh, is it a comedy is it a drama <laughs> uh, in terms of the thing that you're writing you know what kind of thing are you writing but also a meta point about the narrative in the film itself and uh, his response is you never know until and at the moment he says until he drops into like an anaesthetic haze so he can't complete his sentence the film is cut and the film cuts away to a firework display in the sky over his childhood home that as we learn early on had a sort of grate that allows rain to come in but also allows the young boy to like stare at the stars and dream of eternity and Oh man. Like <laughs> so you you never know whether it's a drama or a comedy until what? Until you start creating or perhaps until the end of your life. And I felt like it was an incredibly powerful point really mm. really well made. That's and fair. I can't yeah. I can't say what it is, but you know what it is. He yeah. does a sort of Lynchian thing at the end of this movie as well, which yeah. really was a bit of a sideswipe but left me just rooted in my seat at the end. I think that you know, like I said at the outset, I think really this is right up there with Almodovar's best work at least best work in the last you know 10 to 15 years because it is so personal because it is so heartfelt and because it is so warm even with heroin addiction being a central theme
1: yeah, a central it's, it's motif weird. I think until thing. you see it like that that sounds like oh how can be how can a film be so warm that's got heroin addiction is one of its central themes and
0: but a guy just moping about most of the time yeah. as well you know yeah
1: yeah, absolutely He's moping about in a mood for, for most of the film but there, yeah There's something very human about it. Um, Yeah, I'd like to see it again, I'll be honest, because the cinema screen I saw it in was incredibly hot and very, very uncomfortable. So there were moments in the second half that I wasn't entirely with it, I'll be honest. I felt a bit like Antonio Banderas, probably on the heroine, to be honest, in certain moments of the film so I would like to see it again and I think if I saw it again my opinion of it it's not that I disliked it I thought it was a great film I just would like to see it with uh, eyes wider open than they were in this very uncomfortable cinema screen yeah um,
0: this, I think it's so rich man I think there's so much yeah. big big stuff to sort of unpack although I hate that expression with, with this movie and you know things like also where uh, there's a, a sequence that is title carded as the first desire and the first desire is the bit in which he as a boy um is uh oh he he catches a glimpse of the house painter sort of handyman who's doing up their house for his mother played by penelope cruz uh he catches a glimpse of this guy naked and realizes he has this huge flush of desire for the (laughs) naked body of this this young sort of muscular man but again it's intelligent it's smart Oh, is not Purely interested in the first desire being like carnal sexual desire. The first desire is also the desire to create something. In mm. that same sequence, it's all about the young man drawing a picture of Ormazd. Excuse me, of Banderas' character as a child reading. The first desire is to learn. The first desire is to create, and the first desire is to create life. I guess. I just Matt, like I, I was very taken, and I should also say uh, Banderas it hasn't been better
1: for years he is 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 absolutely incredible in this film it's it's fantastic it's really fantastic the performance of the year so far for sure and oh, ditto,
0: uh, ditto Penelope Cruz. Like Penelope Cruz here has to play this sort of put upon yet uh, resilient, resourceful mother who has been dealt a hand that she never wanted and is going to kind of make the most of that uh, as best she can. And then we jump later in the movie, obviously when we've got an adult uh, central character to the elderly version of that character. And the through line is perfect. Like the connection between the manner of that elderly version of that character and how she was as a younger woman as played by Penelope Cruz I just thought was just a fantastic feat of acting on the part of all of the people involved so yeah for me this is going to be up there at the end of the year in one of my films of the year Certainly, like without without question, really, yes, really takes it. It's
1: a fun, it's a fantastic piece of work. It was, yeah, absolutely, absolutely superb film. So yeah, no, I had a great time in it. As you say, yeah, I had a great week at the cinema. To be honest, that's the three films I've seen this week. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And,
0: it, and it's one of those, man. Like you know, if if you hear this and you're sort of on the fence about someone like Armadavara or like a Spanish language movie, subtitle movie or whatever, or maybe you haven't seen his stuff before and you're not sure, like please take our word for it. Check it out. It's being given a reasonable run. This one, like you've got a couple of screenings for the next i think week or so um where you can still catch it maybe not throughout the day but once or twice in a regular schedule i think of a lot of cinemas around the uk so get out there see the movie and encourage you know the multiplexes in particular to put on stuff like this when otherwise in the future yeah, it's you don't go they won't put them on so it precisely yeah, <laughs> yeah. precisely um, so that I guess for now uh, maybe I can gush about it again in the future but that brings us to the end of our review of Pain and Glory we will be back in just a moment oh well, no actually Paul we don't even take a break at this
1: point do we we just kind of no, barrel into the end take of the a show break. we just go straight into it
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah so th- this is the section of the show credits. after the feature review where the credits roll we give credit to something from the world of film or even outside the world of film that has made us really happy in the last seven days or really impressed Paul what have you got on the slate this week
1: uh, so, credits. I'm going to pay credit to producers, Pete. Um, I gave credit to myself, I think, a couple of weeks ago because I was producing a short film. Uh, and that was a few weeks ago. And as of, as Pete will tell you, trying to schedule in this podcast today has been quite tricky because I'm not like, I've got work to do as a producer, I just can't squeeze it in. Uh, so, yeah, I've been quite busy. And I'm only producing a film that's going to be shot over a weekend with a budget of about £1,000. So, yeah, so to any of you to. And any of you listen to this who are producers, you have my profound respect because it's actually quite a hard job and it's a pretty thankless one as well. It's all the behind the scenes stuff, everything off camera that no one, that the audience doesn't care about whatsoever, uh, is generally handled by the producers. Uh, And yeah, if it's not for a producer, you wouldn't have a film. So yes, all of the, all of the, I've been doing risk assessments today, Pete, for a short film. How exciting do you think that is? (laughs) It
0: sounds it. It definitely sounds it. Yeah.
1: It's the, you know, it's, yeah, it's the least glamour, the less glamour. Side of the uh, of the film production for sure. Don't get me wrong, there's elements of it I am enjoying a lot, uh, and I'm very excited that we are now and um, just over a week away from shooting. We've got our full cast together, we've got our crew together. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, it's exciting. But yeah, all credit to film producers, um, good producers. Uh, uh, should be valued and do a very good job so well done to film producers that's what I want to say this week yeah it's like I guess the the duck that's gliding across the lake you're
0: as a producer those legs they're kicking really hard under the surface but maybe not getting the recognition that they deserve yeah. because and this
1: is my first time so I'm doing it with a lot of help as well so
0: <laughs> yeah it's absolutely essential stuff I mean films don't get off the ground without good producers so yeah More than deserving of credit, I think. Um, Also deserving of credit and tying into the feature today. So this movie we just talked about, Pain and Glory, is obviously the tale of a, a film director looking back over his life and the work that he's done. So why not look back over the life and the work that's been done by its creator, Pedro Almodovar? I would say, like there are so many places you could start but yeah. if you wanna yeah. if you want to jump back sort of like deep into the filmography and start with something that gives you a flavor of what this guy's all about uh take yourself to 1984's what have I done to deserve this which is one of my very favorite like early ahmovar um, films maybe uh if that one works for you jump ahead 1989 tie me up tie me down is I really say, really time up, funny was a good shout yeah yeah one of the first ahmovar uh, um, movies that I saw so it sort of stuck in my head then yeah of course there's the well better known stuff I guess all about my mother and talk to her like in the later 90s Um, I would also recommend uh, Broken Embraces as, uh, what, 10 years ago now, 2009, a film that's worth tracking down. Paul, you mentioned The Skin I Live In, which is mad, but um, (laughs) definitely worth the time. And then, you know, on top of that, recent stuff like uh, Julietta was was good as well. And, of course, Pain and Glory that's on general release right now. I just really think that um, he's a filmmaker that's deserving of attention. It's not as if he doesn't have, a a, a, you know, very... um, passionate fan base already but to have this auteur director who isn't just a white male um you know figure uh, making sort of similar types of movies as maybe some other white male figures um to have a hispanic gay man who gets to make exactly the cinema that he wants to make is uh, fantastic and I've forgotten to mention this but I wanted to shoehorn it in somewhere in Pain and Glory we get a cameo for Rothalia do you know Rothalia the Spanish no. breakout singer I bought her record recently and I'm high on that as well so I'll recommend her work as well as his work but yeah both of those things just bring me a lot of joy so I'd like them to bring you joy as well if you're into that sort of thing um, but Paul apart from that I guess it's just social media contacts and we're out of here for today right? yeah
1: so you can find us at Stranger Cinema on Twitter at Stranger strangers in a cinema on instagram and facebook and if you do want to email us strangers in cinema at gmail.com but that's it for this week we'll be back next week the review of it chapter two